Hello and welcome to Valor International Academy's Inside Coaching, where each week we interview incredible coaches from around the globe as we explore the many opportunities in the world's most rewarding profession. It's a show for big-hearted people who have a genuine desire to help others. The following interview with our special guest, David Cooks, was recorded during our Fowler International Group Coaching Session. You're going to love this. I am delighted to introduce you to this evening's special guest, David Cooks. David is an incredible individual, a sought-after speaker, an author, an award-winning author, and uh, a very special human being. Welcome, David. How are you doing this evening? I'm great and great. You know, it's, it's, it's so good to be here. This is crazy. Oh, listen, I, you know, I have, I've, I've been looking forward to this all for the last 10 days, ever since we had a chance to uh, get your, your consent to, to share time with us. So, you know, sometimes life throws us a curveball. And we might have the greatest plans in the world. And, you know, I have this saying that I really believe, you know, if you want to make God laugh, just really tell him exactly what your plans are. And I know that many times when I have very specific plans, I believe I may be his, uh, I may be his, you know, supplying the, the most humor to him. And he laughs and he laughs. And so you had some pretty big plans and you were thrown a curveball in the form of a basketball, weren't you? Uh, absolutely. I'll, uh, and, and it was, uh, I was a 15 year old kid in high school and, you know, I loved to play the game of basketball and still have a passion for that. And uh, woke up on a Friday morning in 1979 with some back pain and uh, didn't think much of it. You know, I had been to the doctor a week before and they had given me a clean bill of health. So I'm thinking, whatever, I ate something or did, you know, slept funny or whatever. Well, in a matter of 24 hours or so, I was in a wheelchair uh, diagnosed with a spinal aneurysm. I had a blood vessel erupt on my spine. I was 15 years old and that was two days before basketball tryouts. And so, yeah, so, I mean, I had a, a, a literally a, a life-changing experience at the age of 15. Wow. Wow. You know, as a sidebar, um, I, David lives in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And when I was in high school, I, I always say I spent two winters in Milwaukee in high school back in those days. And I, I had friends that went to uh, your high school. Um, so, so all of a sudden, you go from a very aspiring superstar basketball player at the age of 15 to find yourself in a wheelchair. Now, before you were able to even move it around in a wheelchair, you had to go through, through some tough, didn't you have a, a surgery and some rehab? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, now I don't know if I was a super basketball player, but I do. <laughs> and, and there's no video, there's no YouTube or anything from back there. So absolutely. In fact, you live in Washington in Seattle. And yep. so um, I was actually nicknamed after the Seattle uh, Supersonics point guard, uh, Gus Williams. Oh, and okay. so he was a really good player. So I guess I was okay. Yeah. Uh, but, but yes, I actually, you know, before I got 
uh, back on my feet, so to speak. You know, I had some exploratory surgery right away uh, just to see if there was something that could be done uh, at the time to reverse what had happened. Uh, they could not. And then from there, I went to the rehab center and, and began to reshape my life. And how did you how did you get through, especially that initial kind of shock of, you know, I mean, you must have been pretty uh, overwhelmed, especially at a young age. Yeah, well, I think a couple of things. One, um, you know, we all we all talk about the importance of faith and family and discipline and those things. Um, and it, that's real. And it, it becomes real when you need it and you have it, if yeah. I can say it that way. And so um, thankfully, you know, I. My family was intact and were very supportive. Uh, my faith was strong. You know, I, I still believe that God only has good things for me and that this will turn out to be a good thing. Uh, I was not in denial of the, of the reality that I lived in, but I refused to let that reality rule my life. Yep. You know, I, I was going to dictate to my circumstances and not the other way around. And so um, I had great friends. You know, I think there, there are three things that I think helped me get from paralysis to purpose and we'll talk about the book in, in yes, a moment we will. Yeah. Um, but that that was the importance of perspective the importance of perseverance and finally the importance of partnerships uh one of the thing that i one of the things that i really am grateful for is that i didn't have to take this journey by myself then and i still don't have to take it alone now oh, and it's great to, that you don't have to do this by yourself well, that, isn't that the truth, you know, it, it, um, it takes a village, it takes a community for, I think, all of us to really uh, reach our full potential. And as I read through your book, I mean, you, you had some incredible people that you've met along the way. So here you are, you're 15, you've gone through rehab, and is it time to go back to school? Yes, it is. You and know, how, how was that return to school? Oh, man, it's probably one of the highlights in my life to this day uh, to just to return to something that I was familiar with because the rest of this I was unfamiliar with, the wheelchair and, and living that way and, and all the things that you have to do. And I don't care who you are, it's always nice to return to, to, return to the familiar yeah. uh, because it gives you a sense of belonging and, and a welcoming that you don't get somewhere else. And I mean, second to coming home on Christmas Eve of that year, being discharged from rehab, which was a miracle in and of itself. Instead of six, instead of six months in rehab, it was two. Wow. And uh, to come home on Christmas Eve, now that was the best Christmas gift for me and my family ever. Uh, and then for me to be able to go back to school on time was uh, just remarkable. I, I wanna say this about being 15, because I think sometimes um, you know, timing has so much to do with everything in your life, whatever your successes, triumphs, failures, whatever it might be. And for me, being 15 years old, you know, I don't think I had been stained with the um, pessimism of life at that point. I hadn't been scarred enough to know any better than to believe it was going to be okay. I was 15. I was good looking. Still am. Uh, I'm married now, but I wasn't then. And I like I was liking girls and everything else, like any other 15 year old boy. Yeah. And that's all I knew. You know, I didn't know how difficult life could be. I didn't know anything about that. And so as a result, I think it helped cope with that in a way that uh, if I had, excuse me, experienced more life at that time, um, it could have been a different outcome. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, you know, that makes a lot of sense, that innocence that we have when we're young. And I, I, I think that makes sense. So, so you go back to school and how is your school set up for you in a wheelchair? Now remember, this was 1979, 1980. So uh, this was the beginning of um, curb cuts and elevators and wide doors and everything. So it wasn't uh, set up at all. Yeah, uh, we had to figure out how to, how to navigate through what was there. Yeah. And I was grateful and still am grateful uh, for the effort that the school made to make it as accessible for me as they could at that time. Yeah. Um, it was tough. I mean, lots of stairs, lots of back doors. I learned, a, I, I learned a whole lot about going through kitchens and bathrooms and, <laughs> and everywhere to get to where I needed to go. But that didn't bother me. At the end of the day, um, just to be able to live and, and do those things and be comfortable around my friends and, and, and that kind of stuff was, was worth it. But it was, it was not 19, uh, what, what are we, it, it wasn't 1995 and it definitely is not 2021 yeah. in terms of, in terms of yeah. accessibility. Yeah. I have to admit, you were about, uh, 20 years behind, uh, behind me, I, or I was, I should say I was about 20 years ahead of you. So we wouldn't uh, have played against each other in basketball, you know, even at that younger age. So anyway, so, so you graduated from high school and you were, weren't, you were able to graduate with your, with your class that you'd been in even after the challenge. And so what's, what was next? What was your next opportunity? Well, my, next, my next opportunity was going to go to college. That was, that was that was the recipe in our family. You know, either you were going to you you you're 18 years old. You're either going to get a job and get out of here, or you're going to go to college and you can stay here until you get out. And those those standards and expectations didn't change for me. And that's one of the things I'm grateful for is that my family, my mom and dad, they didn't change the standard because I was in a wheelchair. They didn't coddle me or treat me any different than my brothers and sisters. Um, I remember when I was 17 years old. I uh, uh, began to ask my dad about money and because um, we were receiving some assistance to help with my, our bills and stuff. And I was like, you know, where's all the money going? How come I can't get any money? And uh, that wasn't a good thing to ask. It <laughs> <laughs> wasn't a good thing to ask at all. And so I remember um, he put me out of the house that night uh, in a wheelchair. They opened the door. It was crazy. And they he tipped me back in a wheelie like he always did to take me outside, bounced me down to three stairs, bounced me down one more stair, pushed me down a little bit, closed the door and turned the light off. Oh, <laughs> I'm sitting outside. I'm like, what in the world is going on here? And so, you know, I didn't have, I didn't have a license, didn't have any money, couldn't go anywhere, couldn't do anything. Trust me when I tell you, they never had me ask another question about what they were what, what they were doing to make sure my life was okay. Yeah, you know, and and that's teenage stuff. You know, kids always do that kind of stuff. And when they put me out, man, that was the most hilarious. I laugh about it now. It wasn't funny then. No, because, because they weren't answering the door or anything. I'm like, what are they gonna do? There were no cell phones. There was none of that. Yeah, you just sit outside in the cold, and when you decide you want to come back in here, let us know. Yeah, so, um, yeah. that's a little side story. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, in your book, I mean, it's it's so apparent the type of uh, support and love that you receive from your family. I mean, your mom and dad, you know, obviously were incredible people, and and uh, 
um, you know, I, I, you, the love comes through, you know, in your book. So, so now you're finished with high school, you're in a wheelchair and are you going to get a job? Are you going to go to college? Yeah, I'm going to go to college. Yes. Uh, before I get there, I need to get my driver's license and I do, um, oh, but yeah. I, I go to college and what a, um, I wanted to go to Stanford university. That's what, that was my first choice. Um, but I didn't get in. And um, so I ended up going to a school, University of Wisconsin-Whitewater, and it was one of the top schools in the country at that time for accessibility. I think the University of Illinois was number one, um, but that was great. And the business school was outstanding. I was going to study business and um, I got there and it was a great four years. You know, I, I dealt with a number of challenges there in terms of growth and development, like every young person does. Uh, and one, one of them for me was I had never been around people in wheelchairs before. Yeah. And so I get, I get to the campus and, you know, it's set up specifically to help people with physical challenges and stuff. And I'm freaking out looking, I'm looking around and staring at people like people would stare at me. And I had to catch myself like, wait a minute, you're becoming what you don't want to want other people to be. And just that process of evolving and growing and learning to accept others and, and learning how to be a teammate and all those things was really great for me in college. Wow. Well, it sounds like you happened to go to the perfect college at the perfect time. So at college, besides taking classes, you had a couple of other things that you did and uh, which kind of launched your radio career, right? Absolutely. How, I, did, uh, how did that come about? Well, I, I actually started uh, doing some radio in high school with a good buddy of mine who I'm still friends with to this day. And uh, when I went to college, I wanted to continue to do that. I, I'm a big, as you can probably see behind me, and you, don't, you can't see over there. There's a bunch of music over there, too. Um, I was a big Christian music fan and, and um, wanted to get on the airwaves and share the music um, of all genres, but with a Christian message and was able to do that. Um, it was an amazing thing for me because it hadn't been done before. Yeah. And I had began to see that I was uh, trailblazing in, in many areas. Um, because of the wheelchair, more so than being African-American, but that also, you know, played a part in a lot of things. But it was, man, it, it led to voice work and other things. And, and um, you know, I, I, was, I was blessed and gifted with this voice. And the, the beauty of having a mentor or a coach or a leader in your life is that they can point out to you blind spots. And sometimes those blind spots are maybe are, are so obvious to everyone else and you take them for granted. And so people are, hey man, you gotta get on the radio. Have you heard your voice? You need to do this, you need to do that. And to me, I'm just talking, I'm just, I don't, it's my voice. Um, they, they, they begin to identify and say, man, you know, give it a shot. And I did, and I, and I, it was one of the greatest accomplishments and I accomplished a lot of things in college um, that, I've ever, that, that I'm most proud of. Well, and you, you actually started the first Christian radio show in that area. Yes, it was. Yeah. Uh, there never had been one on any of the uh, University of Wisconsin um, campuses. And uh, so there was some question about that, you know, church, state things and everything. But um, again, time and favor allowed for that to happen. And um, it continued after I left. That's the one thing I was most proud of um, as I come to get older and understand the importance of legacy. Yep. And we, because we all leave one, yep. whatever, whatever it might be, we yep. all leave one. And I just want to be intentional about leaving that there as well. Yeah. 
Wow. Wow. And so, so you're going to college, you're, you've, you've started the first Christian, um, uh, segment and the, in the radio station and people loved it and it grew and grew and you got a instant fan base and then that grew and grew. Um, and, and you're being very successful in college, but you also found a way to work back into something that you loved as well. Hmm. And it's tell us a little bit about that. That must've been kind of a, a, a wonderful surprise. Yeah. You know, um, I, the game of basketball, I, I still loved it. I watched it all the time and everything, but you know, I couldn't play it anymore. And so I didn't know what I was going to do. And it was in wheelchair basketball was introduced to me in college. Um, oh. and, um, I tell you what, it was, it was one of the most physically and mentally, mentally, mentally. Yeah, that's right. Easy for me to say, I speak all the time, demanding, <laughs> <laughs> demanding things I had ever done. Um, but also one of the most rewarding because I was put in a leadership position as the point guard of that team and had to figure out how to run the offense and, and get my teammates in the best position to be successful and understand what their skill set was and how they could help us win and how I could help them help us win. That was a, a life lesson that I still use today. And, and as I talk to, to businesses and people about things is how important that was to to be able to do that and to understand team and the importance of working together and, um, and growing in something that I, again, I, I was, I was uncomfortable when I started oh. and most, and most of our journeys start with uncomfortableness, almost with nothing. Yeah. And then, and then out of void and in darkness, let there be light. And then you have the sun and the moon and everything else. You, we all start at that place. And so it was really unfamiliar, but I tell you what, the principles of the game were the same. Mm -hmm. And so that was interesting how it transcended what my circumstances said about the game, but you still had to pass and, and catch and dribble and rebound and play defense and communicate and, and talk and, and love each other and care for each other as, a pl as players and yeah, trust yeah. each other. And that is whether you're walking or in a wheelchair playing a sport, that's still true. Yeah. Well, if if you've never seen wheelchair basketball, it is. <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine. You know, it's a it's a rough, tough game. You can get hurt in wheelchair basketball, but it's it's so much fun to watch, and I'm sure it would be fun to play if I could maneuver a wheelchair like you know, like like those experts. But anyhow, so so that brings you back to you to you to the sport that you truly love and are passionate about. You graduate from college, and it was my understanding you always wanted to dress up and wear suits to work or something is that right absolutely man I, <laughs> the one thing i wanted and I never wanted to play nba or anything like that but being a businessman was important to me and back then you wore suits to work oh yeah the, yeah. the casual thing came over time but I used to wear nice three button suits with really nice shoes and nice shirts and ties and and that was one of my goals to do and and i was fortunate enough to get a to get into banking, uh, which was also one of the things that I wanted to do. I didn't know, I didn't understand a lot about banking. I knew that they, they were around a lot of money and they dressed, <laughs> they dressed nice. So I figured what the heck, uh, let me do that. So I was really fortunate to have some people again who um, gave me an opportunity and gave me a chance. You know, I capitalized on that obviously, but to have an opportunity and to have people there to, to help me navigate through again, 
unfamiliar territory. Um, I was the first guy in a wheelchair in downtown Milwaukee to work. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, we didn't have curb cuts. We didn't have the bathrooms weren't set, weren't set up. And, you know, I had to help the bank, help the bank walk through that transition. Uh, that was new for me too. So, you know, I would, like I said, I was just getting used to being the first and leveraged it. I never yeah. took it in a negative way. I used it as an opportunity to build and grow. Yeah. And, and you had a very successful career. You were kind of the young superstar. And, and, uh, and, and, and I remember when I was young and how, how wonderful I thought it would be to live in suits and ties. And, you know, after spending decades doing that, I always say stiff collar ties and hard shoes. You know, <laughs> I was, you know, later I was so happy to leave that behind, but, as, but that as, was a big deal, as, especially back, you know, especially back then it was really important. And so here you are, you're, you're having success. And yet you decide you want to move on to a higher level of education, don't you? Yeah. You know, uh, I always had that as a goal. The one thing I will say about my parents, uh, they always said, you know, have some goals and some dreams. Don't just stay where you are. And so one of my goals, I always wanted to get an MBA. And um, I wanted to do that after I had cemented my position in the business world so that if it didn't work out or I didn't like it or something, I could always come back. Well, I um, did that. I ended up at Duke University um, and um, loved every moment of the academic experience and was fortunate enough to work with the basketball team during that time um, when uh, the, the infamous Christian Leitner and Bobby Hurley and that crew were there. And to be a part of that uh, while getting my MBA those couple of years, really, you know, I, all of these, it's, it's interesting. I don't know how many life-altering events you can have in your life, but I've had an awful lot of them. <laughs> so yes, you have. And you actually, besides being, you know, very successful in the MBA program, you got to meet and work with Coach K, right? Yeah, yeah, I sure did. <laughs> I, I, um, I didn't know, I didn't know him or any of the, the Duke family, I call it now, when I got there, but you know, I thought I, I believed in myself enough to think, you know what, I had been coaching back in Wisconsin and helping out with some summer teams and that kind of stuff and still had a love for the game. I, I tell people, your purpose and your passion does not die until you die. And so it didn't become paralyzed when I became paralyzed. I just had to find out how I was going to fulfill and scratch this itch because it, it, until that itch stopped. And so I'm crazy enough to go and knock on doors and say, hey, I'm from Milwaukee and you don't know me, but I, I need to meet with Coach K. Well, you know, it didn't happen right away. Um, uh, they, they said he was on vacation and I thought they were just blowing me off. And, um, and I kept coming back and eventually he wasn't on vacation. And sure enough, we got a chance to meet. And um, I started off with them uh, filling up water bottles and doing laundry. Um, and that led to other things. But I, I was prepared for what seemed to be a menial thing because when I was 17 years old, I got my first job in banking and I was filing checks yep. and filing checks led to me being a banker. Yep. And so I understood there is no such thing as insignificant beginnings yep. and that everything that you do is important and how you do anything, how you do one thing is how you do everything. Yep. And uh, so when I was asked to fill up water and I'm 28 years old and I'm a grown man uh, asked to make Gatorade and, wiped the floor, I did it um, because I, I could see 
at that point that there was more to this than what was happening in terms of what I had to do. Yeah. And um, it led to great opportunities and uh, different platforms to, to uh, still stay involved in the game. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and back then, I mean, Duke was the major powerhouse, right? Weren't Absolutely. they just, I like kind of compared to Spokane's Gonzaga Bulldogs. <laughs> the number one, the number one basketball team in the country all they season are, long. They are special this year. I'm telling you right yeah. now. Um, uh, I think they're going to be hard to beat. Is what they, they have as much as they've ever had as a team, and um, you know, I know there's some there's some good teams out here. Yeah, uh, yeah. And have to, to to beat some good teams to get there, but I think yeah. they've got a chance. I really do too. Good. I do too. But you know, March the dance, you never know. I mean, you never you know, know. You never know. You never know. But but I've you know I I have high hopes and and uh, and I love those kids and Corey Kisper today was is one of the five finalists for the Julius Irving Award for uh, forward, and yeah. so and he deserves it. That kid has just given his whole, um, and he's a senior this year, and and I think he's one of the absolute best players on the team. But like you said, we <laughs> we have a pretty powerhouse team. Yeah. Uh, but anyhow, so now you have your MBA, and. And and you're you're just prepared to go do more suit work, right? Absolutely. I uh, moved up to the Northeast and worked for uh, the largest company in the world at that time, doing um, aircraft uh, leasing. And um, you know, it, it was okay. You know, I but I wanted to immediately get involved in basketball somehow and volunteer and help people out and that kind of stuff. And I eventually realized that. Um, yeah, I was spending a little bit too much time drawing up plays instead of doing spreadsheets and that I needed to really consider where my heart was leading me. Yep. And so uh, I ended up leaving the corporate world. Yeah. And um, in doing so, I took a 70% pay cut. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I said seven zero. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> pay cut. Um, you know, but to follow what I thought I was supposed to do and ended up working at a university and in the athletic department and um, spending the next 25 years uh, involved in the game and in education, uh, reaching young people all over the country. Wow. Wow. And you met your, your, your soon to be wife along the way somewhere, didn't you? Absolutely. I met her uh, when I was out at Fairfield University. Yeah. And uh, she's in there correcting papers. She's a math teacher. <laughs> and, and I met her, I met her while I was out there and um, didn't know, you know, that we were uh, going to be married at any point and just were friends and um, in, in the fullness of time, yeah. everything, everything has its revelation. It, the way it's supposed to be, right? That's right. Yeah. So, so you, you, you put together a really cool basketball program um and you're you're back east of connecticut right were you in yes, connecticut correct. yeah yep. um but somehow you ended up back in milwaukee wisconsin at the same high school you graduated from how did how did that happen well i had come to a fork in the road and i seem to have again two or three of these in my life where I uh, was aspiring for more and nothing was there. And that always for me was an indication that my time was up there and my season 
was up there. I, I'm a big believer in seasons and time. And if you stay somewhere too long, you may miss where you're supposed to be. And so once uh, there was no further advancement or opportunity where I was, I got a call from one of my former teachers who was now the principal at my high school. And they talked about working, coming back, and if I was interested. And um, I said, sure, you know, we could talk about it. But so I, I flew back home and we had some meetings and sounded great. Uh, but the day of taking pay cuts and doing things for free was over. And uh, they <laughs> that's what it was. <laughs> and uh, they, I said, hey, I'm very interested and don't want to coach basketball. I was ready to kind of pull back from that. You know, I had, had a nice run and I just wanted to go to the grocery store and not have anybody ask me about their son's ability or aren't you the coach? I just wanted to yeah. my, live. My son's not getting quite enough time as he should, coach. Now that's the question right there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so it, it worked out that they were able to put together a package uh, and I came back home. I mean, that wasn't on my radar to come back home. I, you know, I, and it wasn't because I didn't like Milwaukee. It just wasn't part of what I had thought. Um, but when I visited the high school and came back and was having conversations, something happened when I went to that gymnasium uh, where I graduated, where I, where I played, and I knew that I needed to come home. And so I did. And, um, you know, it, it's, it was a great run to go to your alma mater and um, do diversity work and teach economics and coach basketball and, and do all those things for 17 years. Um, was fabulous. It was absolutely fabulous. You, you know, know, I think what an honor to be invited back to your alma mater and and to to come back and be able to build an additional legacy there. Yeah, absolutely. To be invited back. I mean, that doesn't happen to everybody. You yeah. know, I, and I just continue to um, keep moving. You know, I, I think that's probably one of the secrets to my success, if you would like to call it that, is I've never stopped. Um, I'm always in motion. I'm always moving forward. Uh, and I don't, uh, I don't do a lot of rear view driving, no. rear view mirror driving. I just kind of move forward and, and look at the opportunity that's in front of me and try to capitalize each day uh, to the maximum that I can, uh, because that's really all I have. And um, with that approach, it really it reduced the, the amount of stress that I would face, the amount of uncertainty I would face, because the only thing certain was what was in front of me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And when you're living your purpose, you know, and, and moving forward towards, you know, truly what your, what your full potential is available to you. I mean, that it just, it, it's an important way to live, I think. And I, I'm, I absolutely agree. There's no reason to look back and to say, what if, or I wish I should have or whatever. Um, right. It's, it's, you know, the future is open and, and you yeah. can write your own future. You know, you, you're the author of your own future. So, so, so you, you, how long were you at Marquette? I was at Marquette High for 17 years. Yeah. yeah. 17 years. I can't believe it, it went fast too. Uh, Before yeah. I went, when it was time to leave, I was like, I've been there 17 years. <laughs> and because I, it's like with everything, you know, you're not paying attention to time. You're not paying attention to all of that. You're again, you're just doing what you're doing because it's in you to do it. Yeah. And before you know it, you have, you have transcended decades of things and you're like, Oh my gosh, yep. which, which is one of the things when I wrote the book, I, I was like, wow, I can't believe I had all these wonderful experiences yep. that are yep. life lessons and all these different things. And I was like, man, and I've got a lot of living left to do. Yes, you do. Um, you know, and so it's, uh, it's been a blessing, man. 
Yeah. So, so now that you have retired from teaching, what, what's the next thing that you decided that was in your future? Well, when I left, when I left the high school, um, I didn't know much about what I was going to do, but I remember telling the guys, it was an all boys school, all boys Jesuit school, telling them the last thing I said to them, you know, I'm going to, I am going to write a book. I said, I think I'm going to speak publicly. I think I'm supposed to do that, but I think I'm supposed to write a book. And uh, the public speaking part was the easy part for me. I could do this with my eyes closed and, and ban you know, a bandana on. Um, <laughs> but writing that book, that was a whole other uncomfortable moment. It's interesting. The market high was a re-entry into something I was familiar with. It had changed, but I was familiar. Yep. Well, now that that's over and I'm branch, I'm stepping out into an unknown area. That book thing was very uncomfortable um, because I, I don't consider myself a writer um, and I didn't know what my story was going to be. Um, but once I began to do it, uh, the book was birthed um, and giving birth is messy. It can be inconvenient. <laughs> yeah. Painful. Yeah. But the, but the joy that you get on the other side of that thing, I can't even put into words. Yeah. And, and once again, as you said, you know, you, you've led an incredible life and been helped by a number of people. And it's my understanding, didn't you run into an old friend or someone that, it, it, that had taught at Marquette maybe, or went to school or how did, how yeah, did that happen? I, had, um, I was actually, uh, speaking at a school in the spring, uh, I think of 2017, I believe. And, um, and after I got done, a, a young man came up to me and, and he said, Hey coach, um, how you doing? And I was like, Hey, I'm great. You know? And I'm like, who are you? <laughs> Cause I don't remember who you are. <laughs> he said, well, you don't remember me, but you, I was the last person you cut on the JV team. I was like, Oh boy. Uh -oh. <laughs> oh boy, here we go. I'm getting ready to get just slammed. Uh, uh, ruined his life and he's never been the same. Uh, and he had to go see a psychiatrist. I was ready. <laughs> and he, he's like, no, 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 everything's good. He said, I'm an English teacher and I'd love to help you write, write your book if you, if you let me. And I said, man, that'd be great. I said, let me just tell you right now, this, right now, this is a faith walk. I don't have any money. Um, and so I can't pay you for what you're going to do. And he said, don't you worry about that. He said, you've helped us and helped so many of our my friends and, and, and young people for years, I like to do this for you for free. Wow. And um, I was, you know, I was like, well, thank you, you know? And so what we did, we ended up uh, long before the pandemic and the Zoom age, yeah. we, were, we were Zooming twice a week yeah. uh, for an hour and a half or two and going over what I would write. And he was an English teacher. So he was able to put things more in book form and all that kind of stuff. And, and from there, we were able to, to get the book done. And wow. it's called, the book is called Getting Undressed from Paralysis to Purpose. Let me tell you a little bit about the title. Yeah. Um, because when you see the title, I mean, and the getting undressed part is huge. Um, and we all get undressed. You know, we all do that every day. To me, it's a, it's a form of rebranding, starting over. It's, it's about um, where you're going versus where you've been, all that kind of stuff. But for me, it represented a moment of gaining, regaining some independence when I learned how to get undressed um, by myself in the rehab center. Um, and so that's what was, gave me the title of getting undressed. Um, it's not a sequel to 
five shades of gray or 50 shades of gray or whatever that is. (laughs) There are no no pictures like that in here. Um, But it really does speak to um, the the importance of, especially in this day and age of of, um, reinventing yourself. You know, uh, finding what you can do with what you have and make that effective for the future. And that's really um, uh, what happened with the book. And it's been it's been a great, um, it's, 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 it's becoming even more impactful um, uh, these days as people are looking for words of inspiration and hope and to tell them that, you know, this too shall pass. And in the midst of this, um, you still have a story. In the midst of this, you still have a song. In the midst of this, you have some tears. But at the end of all of that, you have a book in you. And your story is the most important thing you have. And you need to tell it. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I the your book came. Thank you, um, David sent me his book in the mail, and it showed up the Saturday before Super Bowl, and I opened it up and I, oh, this you know I can't wait to read this, and you were so generous with a very nice autograph copy of of your book, and so I I I set it aside. And Sunday morning, Super Bowl Sunday morning, I thought, I'm going to read this now. And I like to read while I'm on my treadmill. And I try to do an hour a day on my treadmill. Most days I, I do that. And one of the reasons that I am able to do that is I, I, I read my books as I'm walking on my treadmill. I get lost in, in the story. So... I didn't want to mess up my very uh, wonderful autograph copy, so I downloaded I went to Amazon, and I got the Kindle copy and put it on my, my pad, which I put right in front of me as I'm walking on my treadmill. I got so engrossed in your book, and, and I don't do an hour at a, a time. I mean, there's no way I can do that, but I'll do 10 to 15 to sometimes 20 minutes and then get off. So I, I get start to read your book and I almost missed the Super Bowl. I was so engrossed. My wife had to say, hey, the game was starting. And and so I missed all the prelims and because because I love your book. It's a it's an incredible read. And I'll tell you what, for all of us as coaches, well, for all of us as people, first, it's a great book. It's great messaging and so motivational and and sweet. I mean, it's a sweet book, my friend. Um, but especially for, for coaches, there are some great uh, opportunities to share with our clients as well. Your messaging is, is so right on. And so I'm going to pull this book up for a second because I want everybody to see it. Um, and I have it on a slide. Hold on. Share screen. Share screen. Here it is. Uh, getting undressed from paralysis to purpose. And you can go to David's website, and can you see that URL? I think Liz, Liz can maybe put that in, uh, in the chat box for everybody. Um, and you can go to, to David's uh, website 
And you can actually order directly from David, or you can go to Amazon. Well, there are probably a lot of places you can go, I would guess. Is that right, David? That is correct. But if you want a signed copy, hey, you got to come to me. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I would do. I'd recommend go to go to David's website, davidcookspeaks.com. And, uh, and, and this is truly, I, I, you know, we have a lot of our, a number of our coaches have written some wonderful books. And uh, this is really an excellent must read. And it's, it's compelling. If you're like me, you'll get lost in it. And just, you know, it's one of those you don't want to put down because you want to hear what's next. So uh, well, thank so, you for that. <laughs> can, I, can, I, can I read just a, a quick um, mini paragraph from, from the book? Oh, my goodness. Would you? Of course you can. Absolutely. Um, it says here. Um, and this was when I took over a basketball program that wasn't very good and didn't have any tradition or anything. And it says, we couldn't just talk about change. We had to practice it. Change doesn't happen by happenstance. It requires a willingness to confront fear, pain, and uncomfortable truths. And it takes the courage, discipline, out-of-the-box thinking and hard work to produce tangible results. And I know as coaches and as leaders, that's what we're doing. Yep. I say we, because I'm in the process now, I'm halfway through uh, the, the class and I'm looking forward to, to finishing my certification and I'll be one of you guys, um, which would be <laughs> and, fantastic. And uh, listen, I, you know, we're going to welcome you with open arms and I hope you get involved in our community. You know, we only attract the nicest people in the world. It's absolutely true. I can get really sappy about our people because I love every one of them. But I tell you what, we're gonna we're gonna love welcoming you and congratulating you. And we had a conversation earlier today about your practice client, and yeah. and David's at the point where he's getting ready to write the vision statement for his practice client. And, and tell tell share that with us, but with the kind of aha moment as you were helping this practice client yeah well you first of all i had an aha moment because i had confused mission statement with vision statement yeah. and so once i got that clear and i'm talking to my practice client and we're going through things and and he really struggled with seeing seeing himself in abundance seeing himself with dreams fulfilled and it took a while for me to walk him through this. And I was like, no, 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 I need to know. I know what your goals are. I know what your ambitions are. I, know, I want to know what your life is once that is met. What will that look like for you? And he really did struggle with that in terms of understanding there's nothing wrong with abundance. There's nothing wrong with living in a space where you have extra to give. And uh, when we got done, he was like, man, this, is, this really was good. And he's like, and, he, and, he's, and I'm like, man, I'm just learning. And he said, no, 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 no. This is what you always do. You don't even, here we go again with someone else telling me what I do. He said, you've done this all the time. And so it's been a great thing. Now I have to figure out how to write it up and, and use nice fluffy words and everything, but it'll be, it'll, it'll be okay. Well, I'll tell you what, you know what? A lot of coaches, uh, when they write that vision statement, um, uh, many of them will record them reading it. 
And that's something like a wonderful gift they give to their client, their recording. And I can't think of anybody better than making a recording than you. <laughs> sometimes people even put a little music behind it, but mm -hmm. that, that vision statement is an anchor of, you know, what the possibilities of what the successful life and joy filled life can look like. And it's, it's, it's really powerful. Let's bring Liz back again, because Liz read your book and David, I have to say, Liz is probably the most critical uh, book reviewer of anybody I've ever met. I mean, I don't know if she's ever said anything nice about a book, but uh, <laughs> what do you think about David's book? David, well, I, I read your book and I enjoyed it so much. Um, it, just as a coach, I was inspired. As a fellow wheelchair user, I was so with you on many points here, my friend. Um, it was just incredible. I absolutely love it. And um, I know Lauren said this is a great gift to give, and I couldn't agree more. I intend on sharing this with others because it's great. But even just hearing you speak tonight, I'm getting goosebumps, and it's, it's a, a pleasure. Wow. Well, thank you. Um, so, David, when did you write your book? I released the book on my birthday, August 6th of 2018. And wow. so uh, that was a great, that was a great thing too. We had a, a book signing and um, it was at one of the prime real estate um, pieces of real estate here in Milwaukee, right on the lakefront. Mm -hmm. And someone actually gave me the top floor of the discovery world, which has a 360 degree view of the city and everything. Um, someone gave that to me uh, and took care of all the cost and everything. And it was, we had 600 people there. I signed books from, for four, for four and a half straight hours. It was, yeah. <laughs> it exceeded anything I could have thought of. Mm -hmm. wow. It was great. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah, that was amazing. Anyhow, David, my friend, I, I can't tell you what it means to have you here this evening. I know, um, I know it means so much to, to both of us, doesn't it, Liz? Absolutely, David. Absolutely. And we're always here for you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And I appreciate it. And I saw someone ask a question about if I have another book or what's next. And Oh, yeah. Uh, Good. A couple of things. When I'm starting a podcast, um, hopefully, I wanted to launch it April 1st, but I think it'll be probably uh, May 1st. And it's called Paralysis to Purpose, the podcast. And we are uh, looking for people who can tell their story and how they made it from I don't care if it's a business that had to rebrand itself or a person that overcame alcoholism or whatever. Um, and we want to tell those stories. So I'm excited to do that. I think it's going to be a great podcast. I've got some uh, very great guests already that I won't share uh, who they are yet, but uh, I'm excited about that. And I think um, I think I do need to write another book. Um, been thinking about that. Um, something, something, um, Something probably, you know, I, I've, 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 the title would either be Naked in a Pandemic or Changing Clothes in a Pandemic, uh, something that stays with the theme of getting undressed and just talk about uh, pivoting and moving moving ahead and, and some of those things. So I think that will be uh, something like that will probably be uh, my next next offering. Um, Excellent. Wow. Something to really look forward forward to. Mm -hmm.